Wow, the journey of Christmas. Wow, that was good. Appreciate that, choir. Great job. Wow. A lot of work goes into those things. A lot of time, a lot of effort. We certainly appreciate that. You did a great job. Well, amen. The journey of Christmas. Boy, I tell you what, I almost feel like we could say a prayer and go home after that. I mean, to tell you, that was good. And boy, the message got out there. That was great. I do want to share something with you for just a few minutes. And I realize it's Christmas morning, and I realize that, um, you know, you've been home already. I don't know if you've opened your gifts yet. Maybe you're waiting to go back home, or maybe you got up early this morning. If you have children, I'm sure you were up early. Uh, they would, don't like to let you sleep in, do they? They like to get right at it. I don't blame them. I'm kind of funny like that myself. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it's exciting to get those gifts, and it's exciting to wake up to that. And I don't know, maybe you had some breakfast this morning, or you did something as a family already, had a devotion, or uh, met with the Lord already this morning. I hope you did. And if not, we're meeting with Him right now, and we're certainly excited about what God's doing. But I did want to share something with you this morning as we go our way here in just a few moments. Again, Christmas is uh, God's day, you know, just like Sundays are always God's day, but Christmas is kind of a special day, isn't it? And it just happens to fall on a Sunday. Uh, it, makes it, it makes it kind of complicated, let's face it, you know, for families and things. You know, you're kind of busy. you got a lot going on Christmas. But it is a time we need to slow down for just a few moments and think about Him because He is the reason for the season, as they sang in just a few, a few moments ago. And so we're so glad that you could gather today with us, worship, and to once again remember what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. Take your Bible, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. A little bit different passage. We're going to go back into the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. We won't be real long today, and uh, we'll get you going and uh, get about your day. Again, tonight we'll have a, uh, our, uh, a service tonight at 6 o'clock, like we always do on Sundays. And uh, we're going to go ahead and have somewhat of a, we're going to have a candlelight kind of service. It'll be, I mean, it won't just be the whole, you won't walk into candles, okay, nothing like that, but we're going to have a candlelight service. We want to eventually wind with candles and just have a good time reflecting and remembering again uh, just the wonderful blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life and in our world today. If you're visiting with us, again, we are thrilled that you're here and uh, just so glad that you chose to worship with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. We'll just read two verses. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We're in the Old Testament, as I said, and this is all the way back in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah was written 700, over 700 years before Jesus ever showed up, ever uh, graced this, the earth. And so this was a, a, what they call a prophecy, a prophecy. Eleven kings had ruled and reigned since Solomon had died. Again, we had, you had Saul, and then you had David, then you had Solomon. Solomon, of course, was David's son, and Solomon had one of the greatest rules and reigns in all the history of Israel. But when he passed away, when he died, the kingdom was split. The Bible teaches us and shows us that Israel's 12 tribes became two nations instead of one now. Now there were 10 tribes, which were called Israel. Then the others were called Judah. So we went from one combined group 
making up one nation to becoming two in the scriptures. Now, the scriptures would identify those two nations as different names. First of all, the ten tribes would be called Israel. They kept the name Israel. The other nations would now uh, take on the name of Judah. And so, as you look at scripture after the divided kingdom, it gets a little confusing sometimes in prophecy because Israel is represented by two different nations. And so in this particular passage, Isaiah is writing to the king of Judah, to the people of Judah. Now, as I said, 11 kings have come and gone already. And now this faithless king sits on the throne of of Judah. And he is fearful and he is afraid of an invasion by Syria and Israel. Now, again, remember, Israel is the, the other 10 nations. Although they used to be one nation, we find them even at odds with one another from time to time. So Syria and now Israel are threatening to attack Judah. And this king, Ahab, uh, Ahaz, excuse me, he, he is a king that is not a good king. He's not one of the best kings that Israel ever had. Ahaz is a king that ultimately would go down in history as being a bad king. Now, Israel, excuse me, I keep saying, see, I'm mixing them up already. Judah had uh, 20 kings in its history, eight of which were good kings. One of them repented ultimately toward the end of his life, so we could say eight and a half maybe. Israel, on the other hand, the 10 tribes that split apart had 19 kings, none of which were good. They were all wicked. They were all evil. Now, here again we have Syria and Israel threatening to attack Judah. And so this faithless king, Ahaz, is now sitting on the throne. And in the face of this invasion by superior forces, we note that the prophet Isaiah reaffirms that the kingdom, Davidic kingdom, David's kingdom, would be established forever. And so he sends the king and the people a prophecy. Not this one yet. We're going to see in just a moment that he sends another one. But he sends a prophecy in Isaiah seven fourteen, which says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So when they're faced with this uh, horrible uh, threatening time, this invasion, then uh, he sends this uh, king a wonderful prophecy to say, Listen, Although it looks grim, although it looks bad, although it looks like there's no hope at all, I want you to know that the kingdom will be established. I want you to know that the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. Here's the sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, this same prophet, Isaiah, is also given the insight, the understanding, and the the, the opportunity to to see the future. And he sees the invasion of a, a nation ultimately by the name of Assyria, And he sees ultimately them bringing into captivity uh, the the, uh, nation of Israel. And so this this prophet sees a lot of things. And he notes that there's some pretty bad things on the horizon for both Israel and Judah. And he sends a prophecy now. And that prophecy is the prophecy that we just read a moment ago. He sends a prophecy to the king and to the people again, another people, 
He says to these people of Israel, to the people of Judah even, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He goes on to say, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon this kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, again, although there's this thought of invasion, although this idea of captivity, although the very destruction of their way of life loomed heavy upon them, the prophet turns around and continues to point the kings and the people to this wonderful promise of God. The message that one of David's descendants would establish a kingdom, the kingdom of God upon the earth, is a reoccurring theme in Isaiah. It continues to pop up. And every time there's difficulty, every time there's distress, every time it seems that there's no hope, we have a prophecy that points the people and the leadership to none other than Jesus Christ. That prophecy in old times offered encouragement and hope to the people and to the leadership. Now, some supposed when they read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, some supposed that it was possibly the birth of Hezekiah that the prophecy pointed to. Hezekiah would follow King Ahaz. Of course, Ahaz being a bad king, Hezekiah would be a good king. And so some thought, well, this is the fulfillment of a prophecy to put a king on the throne that will establish it forever. And Hezekiah was that king. But wait a minute. Isaiah chapter 9 is not describing any ordinary king here, is it? I mean, note the description given again. Look at Isaiah chapter 9 again, verse 6. Notice the portion here where it begins to say, and his name shall be called. Notice what he's called. He is called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, I don't know about you, but that's no ordinary description of a king. A king of Israel, of course, having no good kings. Even a king of Judah, having only eight of 19. I don't see any of their kings in the past or ever that have lived up to that billing. So this is not the description of any king Israel has ever had or would have to date. It was December the 9th, 1965, on CBS, that a Charlie Brown's Christmas would debut. You may have remembered it, some of you. I was indeed born by then. Frustrated by the modernization and the commercial, commercialization of Christmas, Charlie Brown cries out in desperation, Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? <laughs> Linus speaks up and says, Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. He goes on to say, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, 
And they were so afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. You know, our passage this morning was written over 700 years before it would be partially fulfilled in a little town called Bethlehem. Can you imagine that? 700 years before Jesus ever showed up. It was already in ink. It was already penned. It could not be changed. And you know, it's interesting. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That son and that child is none other than Jesus Christ today. And you know, even as the prophecy of His coming offered hope to a distraught nation, He would go on to offer hope to everyone that came into contact with Him while He was on earth. Every single person. Look, if you will, in the book of Luke, chapter 7, verse 21. Luke, chapter 7, verse 21. Luke chapter 7, verse 21 begins by saying, And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues, and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Well, John, we know John the Baptist is in prison now. And of course, we know ultimately his head would be required of him. But in the meantime, while in jail, although he had baptized Jesus, although he saw the heavenly dove descend upon him, although he heard the voice say, This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased, even though all of that has happened in the midst of the turmoil, the trouble, the difficulty that he faced, although and now finding himself in prison and held captive by the enemy so-called, he asked the question, Is this the one? Is this truly the Jesus, the Messiah, the Master that we seek? And he sends his disciples to ask the question, Are you the one? And this was Jesus' response. I mean, everywhere Jesus went, people were healed. Everywhere Jesus went, lives were changed. Everywhere Jesus went, things were different. He brought hope to whomever and wherever he went. Even as he prophesied, his prophesied coming offered hope to a nation on the brink of destruction in Isaiah's day. And his presence offered hope to those he touched while living upon the earth. I want you to know this morning that this same Jesus offers hope to you and I today. His sinless life. His sacrificial, selfless surrender of self. His supernatural resurrection 
It provided every sinner on earth an escape from the horrible consequences of sin. Contrary to what humanists would say, contrary to even what many scientists will state, the reality is is that it was just 6,000 years or so ago that Adam was in the garden. By the way, let me just tell you, not every scientist believes in evolution. They're the only ones you're allowed to read, though. And they're the only ones permitted in a textbook in a local public school system. But let me tell you, there are scientists who are true to biblical creation. Believe it with all their heart. I want you to know that 6,000 years ago, the first man was formed, placed in a garden, and there he fellowshiped with God himself. But unfortunately, God, in spite of giving him clear direction, telling him not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if the day that he ate of it, he would surely die and ultimately be separated from him. He chose to disregard the God of creation, the God of all heaven, his own Father, his own God. And he chose to disobey, and when he did, God had to keep his word. And sin entered into the world, the Bible tells us, and death as well. Ever since Adam sinned, every last one of us have been without hope and without God in this world. (laughs) That is without Jesus. Do you know that everyone is born on the wrong side of the tracks? Everyone is born a sinner. No, we're not born already in the arms of God On our way to heaven, we are born loved by God, but we are not born saved yet, forgiven yet, washed from our sin yet. The fact is, is that Jesus Christ offers hope to you and I simply because we can't get to God without Him. We can't ever hope to reach heaven without Him. It would serve us no purpose whatsoever to gather today to to remember the birth of Christ if he was just a normal little child in a manger. It would would be a waste of my time. I might as well be home with my family, enjoying another day off from work, than to sit and be in this service today and lifting up some child that meant no more than your grandchild or your child or mine. This Jesus was more than a mere child. He was God in flesh. The Bible tells us he was Emmanuel, God with us. And may I say God had to come and take on the form of sinful flesh. He wasn't a sinner, but he looked or took the form of sinful flesh, became a human being in flesh. He was as much man as he was God, as much God as he was man. He was all human and yet all divine. And may I say that he hung on that old cross with those nails in his hands and in his feet. He allowed that thorn of crowns to be placed upon his head, that cat of nine tails to rip the flesh off of his back. He permitted them to rip his beard out and he permitted them to beat him until he was a bloody pole. But may I say when Jesus Christ rose again the third day, we all knew he was more than a man. He was God. And may I tell you today, That you need that Jesus just like those kings and people in the Old Testament needed him. And you need him just like those that walked the dusty trails of Galilee with Jesus. You and I need Jesus today because he's our only hope. 
It goes on to say of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with justice and with judgment from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, he says. You know what it's saying? He, the Lord Jesus Christ, that one who would come, that child that would be born, that son that would be given, he promotes prosperity. He provides peace. He procures order. And he produces stability, the Bible says. That's what he brings. And if you want any prosperity, peace, order, and stability in your life, my friend, you're going to need that same one who came 2,000 years ago and who now is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven today. How does he make all this possible as you read through that simple passage? And, and he, it goes on to order it and to establish it with what? Judgment and with justice. That's how it's all made possible, through his judgment and justice. Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 Behold I stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door I will come into him and sup with him and he with me Today Jesus Christ is a just God Because he's just he has to judge sin But may I say right there in the book of Revelation he says listen I don't want you to pay for your sin I don't want you to have to endure separation from me i want you to be with me forever not just in this life but forever and so therefore i'm knocking at your door today i'm i want you to know that i am more than a man i want you to know that i am the promised one that i'm messiah that i am jesus the christ and i am knocking and seeking admission into your heart or your life if you will see it's not enough to say a simple prayer my friend may i just say this prayer one two three pray with me and everything's fine But you've got to open your heart to him. You've got to recognize who he is and understand that he is God in flesh and that you are in no way able or capable of ever, ever, ever having your sin forgiven or ever spending a moment in heaven without him. And you simply cry out to him and you open your heart's door and invite him in to your life. And he says, we will fellowship you and I. We'll enjoy one another's company, not just in this life, but forever. On the other hand, those who reject him as their king and rebel against his authority will find his judgment swift and sore. Take your Bible, look over at the book of Revelation chapter 20, please. I do not share this to simply try to invoke some kind of shock value. This isn't an attempt to wreak fear in your hearts alone. No, I'm trying to help you understand that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And if indeed, and by the way, this ought to scare the life out of you if you don't know Christ. And if you say, well, I'm not scared at all, what you're really saying is I don't believe at all. May I say that unfortunately, that's too bad. That's very sad. Because this is the fate of an unbelieving generation. Notice what it says in Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. 
And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. See, how can the dead stand before God? Because even though you die, you're still living. See, the Bible says that in the Garden of Eden, previous to the Garden of Eden, when he formed man, the Bible says that he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. He breathed into Adam the breath of life. And he became a living soul. You know what that means? His soul lives forever. That means although you die, you still live. Physically, somewhere you will be living. That somewhere will either be with the Lord in heaven or without him in hell. Notice what the Bible says. And again, you say, well, I believe the Bible, but there's some things I don't agree with. Then you don't believe the Bible. You either believe it or you don't. It's either true or it's false. It's either the real deal or it's fake. I'm confident it's real. I would not do what I do. Revelation 20, verse 11, uh, excuse me, Revelation verse, uh, 11, 20, verse 13, uh, 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. <clears throat> and they were judged, every man, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Notice again, death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. Ultimately, there is a final place for those who will reject his love, reject his person, reject his authority, reject his reality. It's not just a place called hell, but it is a place called the lake of fire. A sad and a very difficult place, a horrible place. It is a real place, a real place. As real as this pulpit is, it is real. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, this morning, as we close, this most gracious and glorious Savior is calling unto you. No matter how discouraged, depressed, or distraught you may be, no matter how defeated, deflated, or devastated you are, He is calling to you today. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. No matter how fearful, faithless, or foolish you've been, it doesn't matter how sinful, how sassy, and how smug you are, I want you to know he is anxious to receive you today, right now. There is great hope this morning for each of us. But that hope is rooted in a person And that person is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Even as his prophecy or prophesied coming offered hope to a nation on the brink of destruction in Isaiah's day. Even as his presence offered hope to those he touched while living upon the earth. So this same Jesus offers hope to each of us who will permit him to rule and reign upon the throne of our lives this morning. Has there been a day, a time, a place? Can you remember inviting the Savior into your life, allowing him to be your Lord, permitting him to literally take his rightful place on the throne of your life by acknowledging your sin and your need of him in your life, by calling upon him and inviting him in? He's knocking. He's knocking.
Have you trusted him today? Have you received him today? Boy, he offered hope all the way back in King Ahaz's day. That prophecy alone, reminding them that he would come, encouraged and enabled them to keep going. Those in Jesus' day were so encouraged. Although they may have had lame legs, although they may have had blind eyes, although they may have had sores and hurts and difficulties unimaginable at times, he offered them hope. May I say the same is true with you today. Won't you trust him? Won't you receive him today? You say, well, I'll do it later. I wouldn't wait. I'd get it done. I'd come to him today. I'd settle it right now. And leave here not only loved by the Savior, because he does love you, but to leave here part of his family. To leave here guaranteed a reservation in a place called heaven. And that with the ultimate privilege of serving him as of now to the day you die. What a blessing. Jesus. Still our hope. Still our greatest hope. Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you.